Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen, amen. Good morning, church. So grateful uh, just to gather here uh, this morning as we just worship our great God as we declare just that he is alone worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise. And I appreciate just the way that you all have walked through this really unusual time that we've been going through for the last few months. And, man, it's been one of those seasons where you you really just sit back as a pastor. And anytime we're really trying to lean in and make decisions that are, are big in our life, you know, I want to hear a word from God's word. I want to hear wisdom from just godly counsel and just a peace from the Lord. And I know he can give us that in the midst of these times. And we just appreciate how you have faithfully just walked with us through this. I know that some of the things that we're doing are not always ideal. Sitting in a parking lot in front of a nice cool building or maybe worshiping from our cars. It may not be uh, ideal. I know there are uh, many folks that I've talked to, and I know this is a challenge for you parents. I know that uh, with younger kids, this can be uh, very challenging along the way, but I am so grateful for your uh, encouragement along the way. We continue to meet and pray. I appreciate all of you that uh, filled out the survey for us online and uh, just shared with us kind of your heart as we uh, look to move forward. And I shared with um, with our staff last week, I said, you know, there's today is kind of a, uh, a convicting day. Like as we walk through the scripture we're going to walk through today, I'm going to share a bit of my heart later uh, in that. But, you know, as we walk through this, there's times that it's easy to spend more time thinking and more time watching the news and hearing uh, voices from all kind of places uh, than we do spending time and making sure that we're hearing the one voice that really matters. And so I want to encourage us just to continue Uh, to seek uh, with all of our hearts, right, just the direction and plan that God would have for us. We are uh, planted right here in the midst of this this place on mission for the glory of His name, and it's it's our desire that we would walk uh, in His will, uh, that we would worship Him in spirit and in truth, that we would declare uh, the goodness of who He is uh, just to this world. And so, uh, appreciate you all. Uh, you know, we hit in the midst of this pandemic, and as we uh, were walking through that, we began uh, online church, and we're so grateful. Uh, if you're listening and, and watching uh, on Facebook or on YouTube or uh, at Church Online this morning, we welcome you. We're so grateful uh, that you tune in uh, that way, and we encourage you to share uh, this stream, encourage you to uh, help us as we continue to, to proclaim the word uh, through the channels that God has given us. But we were in the midst of the book of James as we were uh, kind of started into this pandemic, and we walked through that for a few weeks, and we got to a place in uh, James chapter 5, and as we got there, and I was reading it, and I just thought, man, this, this really doesn't feel like where we need to be, and my heart stirred to uh, Genesis, and, and we began to uh, look at the life of Joseph and look at about the last 13 chapters of the book of Genesis, and we spent uh, time there, and uh, my heart began to stir toward First Peter, and I pray that, that maybe in the coming weeks we'll walk through uh, that book. But I really felt like the Lord uh, 
brought me back to James 5, and, and we are a church that loves to preach through uh, books of the Bible and just really look at the full counsel of God's Word. And so today, we're going to do that, and I believe we're going to jump into maybe the toughest words in the book of James. I think we're going to jump into maybe some of the most difficult words that we might uh, read. And uh, you can choose your own sermon title. And so uh, number one is warnings to the rich. And it's just a message you should share with some rich people that you know. Okay, so you can kind of choose that one. Or uh, number two is money talks. And so uh, we'll let you pick by the end of the sermon. But we finished chapter four with this thought. Verse 17 of James chapter 4 says this, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it's a sin. Now, when we read those kind of things, I think about a lot of stuff that I know I'm not supposed to do. And so whenever I do those things that I'm not supposed to do that are clearly revealed in God's Word, whenever I do those kind of things, it's pretty easy for me to go, okay, that's a sin. Uh, I remember when I came to Christ, like before that, I might have been in the top few of like the world's best cussers. Like, and it was like, I know that when I come to faith in Christ, that that had to go, right? That, that, that there's, I mean, it's just something that is obvious that I am going to need to go a different direction with that. And so uh, those are some of those kind of things. Uh, sometimes, though, the harder things for us to navigate are those moments where we know the things that we should do and we don't do them. And we're going to look in that context today. And we pick up in James chapter 5. Uh, I just want you to know that, like, if you're cherry-picking Scripture, this is probably not a passage that I would read. And if we were using sermon title number two, which is Money Talks, then we would say that it would maybe tell a story of our worship to our God. You know, we sung, and, and man, I was hearing the words of Waymaker, and it was saying, why do we worship you? And I believe James would say that our way that we respond to this area of our life tells a story of worship to God or our wealth. You know, our, our witness and, and what this tells about us, tells it reveals a lot about us. John MacArthur said this, he said, nothing more clearly reveals the state of a person's heart than his view of money and material possessions. Many who profess faith in Christ invalidate their claim to genuine saving faith through their opulent, indulgent, materialistic lifestyles, a clear indication that they serve wealth, not God. And that's pretty heavy. It gets worse. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Let's just keep going. Verse 3, your gold and your silver have rusted, and the rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed the fields, who mowed your fields, and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on earth and lived a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Whoa, right? It's not a good time to just say, okay, let's close, right? We want to break some of this down. We want to look at it, but it, it appears that this is written uh, to a, a group of rich uh, non-believers, and, and uh, they've uh, experienced this dishonest gain. They've been uh, rough to the poor. They, they've done this at the expense, really, of the poor, and 
I think James has a couple of purposes as he writes this and as we see these people addressed in this passage. I think there's these believers that are oppressed. And James wants to say that, uh, that, that you need to understand Jesus is coming. And, and if we were looking at James chapter 5, and I can't wait to get to the next section because my heart stirs so much about it. But I believe he would say, hey, we're going to be a people who are patiently looking for the return of Christ and that we're going to be a people who wait with grace. And, and James is addressing these people and he says, listen, justice is coming. Those of you that have been oppressed, that have been taken advantage of, wait with grace because God has not forgotten you. He says, listen, I want you to know God is going to punish the rich for the the things they've done to you. I want you to understand that your God is just and fair, even in the midst of this moment where you may not be able to see that he's working, that he's working, and that there's coming a day uh, that those that have cheated you, those that may have uh, done all these things against you while they were living high, that judgment is coming. But the second thing that I believe is even more important than that is he wanted followers of Jesus Christ to not fall in to these traps. I want, uh, I believe he wanted those that followed Jesus Christ to hear of their sins and to guard their heart from them, to hear what God is against so that everything in our lives in this area might move in the opposite direction. Now, we read scriptures that talk about rich people. And when we do that, I mean, the first thing we think of is, I know somebody who's rich, probably. And y'all can, don't point at them. Like, if you know somebody that's rich, and maybe that's where you're at right now, and you're saying, I know, I know some rich people, I know somebody that's rich, don't, don't point at them. Um, don't do that, okay? And, and, and maybe you're out there and you say, hey, um, where's your object lesson today? You know, I ran into somebody at the store the other day, and they said, where is, what's the object lesson going to be today? And so I began to think about that, and I said, well, I wonder what the object lesson for this message should be today. And I'm convinced that the very cars that we are sitting in, the very building that surrounds us, the very home and bed that I woke up in this morning, the clothes that I've put on my feet, and, and, the, and the blessings of this life, everything that surrounds us is the object lesson for today. And I pray that God will speak to our hearts in a way uh, that would be life-changing because the reality is that you and I, we have things that the readers of this letter could never dream of. The average middle-class family in America, in terms of the things that we have, the electricity that we use, the blessings that we have, just the resources that we consume in that kind of thing is benefiting from the equivalent of about 200 personal servants in James Day. So if you're here this morning and you're the average middle-class family, I want to think about uh, 200 servants that are at your beck and uh, call, those that would wash your clothes and cook your food, those that would uh, boil your bath water. Anybody have anybody doing that for them? Uh, those that would, uh, instead of us connecting to a, I got a Bluetooth, because I don't want to have to hold my phone as I do something. I mean, I got a Bluetooth I stick in my ear so that I can have music and podcasts and anything else, any time of day uh, that I want to, because that is easy. It would take uh, people constantly uh Singing and doing all those kind of things. Servants at night that might uh, perform uh, drama and comedy and things that I can pull up my phone. And on right now media, I can watch Christian TV. And if you're on uh, the Netflix binge, you can do all those. We have all those things that are 
available for us, but it took in James' day, it would have taken 200 servants to give you the equivalent of just what we have with the twist of a knob, with the flip of a switch or an app on our phone. No matter how rich the people were that were being referred to in this passage, they were lacking compared uh, to us in this day. They could not turn a handle and get some running ice water. Uh, they were not able to do a lot of things. I want y'all to know I got a refrigerator. This is how rich I am. Y'all say I'm, everybody say I'm rich, okay, because we're all, we're going to get there in a minute. We're all, I'm so rich, I got a refrigerator that puts ice out the door. I'm telling you, this is crazy. This is the first time you ever heard a preacher say he's rich, right? Y'all be like, we're going to work on the budget next year. He got a refrigerator that puts ice out the door. You got to be kidding me. What are we paying this guy? I'm telling you, I got contacts in so I can see y'all. Yeah, for real, like my, my eyes are bad, but I see y'all good because I got contacts. Some of y'all so rich, you got eyeglasses. <laughs> There's some people so rich that when your heart gives you trouble, they put a stent in there. And it, and it helps to, you know, we have medical treatment. I got allergy medicine, so I don't sound like I got the coronavirus. When I'm, I mean, just because people sniff and cough these days. All those kind of things. You know, years ago I heard, I think it was Craig Rochelle make some comparisons, and he said something that hit me. He said, there are people that are so rich. He said that they have, they have houses for their car. <laughs> Any of y'all got those? They say, you know what, there's people that are so rich that they have extra rooms in their house that they call guest bedrooms. It's crazy. If you own a car, it's my understanding that you are in the top 3% of the world. Top 3%. There are people in places where we minister in Africa that gather in the hot of the sun. And uh, to them, they would hear that we are so rich that we are able to pull up in our cars. And if we get hot, we can crank them and cool off in the middle of the sermon if the preacher gets long-winded. Man. It's crazy. Some of these people, like if we were to talk to them, some of these people that live here that we have so much that we eat actually more than we need. Right? There are people in third world countries that would be like, I know y'all can't tell I've ever done that. There are people that have closets where we put all our clothes. And, and some of them have men's closet and women's closet. And a two, we, I'm going to confess again, we got like a two-story closet. You got like a shelf up here and a shelf down here, and you hang clothes in it. And I walk in there some mornings because maybe I ate more than I should, and I think, I ain't got nothing to wear. I know none of you ladies have ever done that, right? And so when the Scripture speaks of the dangers of being rich, I just want to be clear that we need to listen in because I believe that all of us that gather here would fit well in that category according to the rest of the world and in the first verse in the warnings to those that are rich we see these words weep and howl man this is heavy and I want to tell you when we read that that first verse we're going to see that hoarding doesn't produce happiness I don't know if you've noticed that or not but the people that have the most things piled up are not necessarily uh, the happiest people look at verse 2 he said your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten the reality is that the things that we treasure that they don't last and we we have them and we're so proud of them but many times uh, after we die what's going to happen is, is our kids are going to come in and they're going to haul all that stuff off that was so important uh, to us and 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 it's just what's going to happen right because the truth is that hoarded riches will not 
last. And I wonder, as I was reading this passage and I was thinking about what James uh, would want us to know, I was thinking about just how much gospel progress could be made with the hoarded treasures of Christians in the midst of our land. I, I just thought about that, that thought. You know, when James says things like this, the truth is that in all reality, and I wanted to have a little fun, but the, the truth is when we hear these kind of things, we flinch. And we say, you know what, I'm glad he's talking to rich, unbelieving people. I'm glad he's not talking to me. But there's something about it when we hear it that makes us a little uncomfortable. There's something about it when we hear it that hits a little too close to home. And there's something inside of us that can't help but say, is that me? Right? Is that where I'm at? And there's that small voice that that bothers us a little bit if we are honest. Because James was was writing, and he was serious about us having an authentic faith. And he said that there's faith that's going to produce a certain kind of characteristics and certain things that you can recognize from people that are followers of Christ. And in this passage, I believe he condemns this thought of people saying that they worship God, but in reality, their worship is to their wealth or to money. You know, when we think of that thought of money talks, there's this thought that would say that it testifies against us, right? That it would say that there's nothing good that's been done with maybe maybe our wealth. And some of you, and you're saying, you know what, I'm using what God's given me for the furtherment of his kingdom. But there may be some of us that are saying, you know, what does my money testify of me? Does it say that I've kept it all for myself? Are there any needs that are being met because of the blessings that God has given to me? Is there a missionary somewhere that's overseas uh, sharing the good news of the gospel uh, that had a meal this week because of my concern for the gospel to go forth in that country? Is all those questions we have to ask. There's, is there a church or a Christian organization that, that is, is uh, causing the gospel to progress because of the gifts that we have given. And the question is, if that's not, what have we done with our money? Because the truth is, possessing wealth is not sinful. I don't want you to think that when we hear this passage. We don't want to say, hey, having money or possessing wealth is not sinful. It's when it possesses us that it gets sinful. You know, we hear the comment, right? We've heard money talks. That's a, a pretty well-known quote. And the other thing that a lot of times we hear is that money is the root of all evil. We hear that, but that's not true, right? It's a little bit of a twist, right? But the Scripture says in 1 Timothy 6, it says, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, for it have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many Griefs. Now, as we read James uh, chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, warns of this impending uh, judgment. It warns against this dishonest gain that these people have been doing. And uh, he said that there's those that have lived a life of selfish indulgence. And in the midst of that, we see these things. That, that, that there's this judgment coming. It says that you have lived luxuriously on the earth, in verse 5, and led a life of one and pleasure. You fatten your hearts in a day of slaughter. And that's some harsh language and, and he says, this is what awaits those that worship stuff instead of 
the Savior. He says, you've condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. These people that James is talking about, they've robbed the poor. They've lived luxuriously at the expense of other people, and they have condemned and put to death the righteous man. And man, when I read all these things, these are heavy thoughts, and I'm thinking, I'm so glad that James is not talking to me, but what does this reveal to us about who and what we need to do in the midst of our lives? And we wonder, the questions that we have to ask, am I, as a follower of Jesus Christ, am I hoarding riches, or am uh, I living maybe in selfish indulgence? Is that, would that be described of my life? And, and it's not all black and white. This isn't easy stuff to figure out, because there's a lot of factors that are involved. I mean, I'm thinking, you know what, my, my little girl turns 14 this week, and I'm thinking, you know, we're going to need to get a car uh, sometime. I got to save up a little money uh, for a car, and and we know that at some point, right, we, we need to have money for retirement. There are people that are in a retirement age, and you say, you know what, we got to have money with that, and we don't know how much we're going to need because with inflation and the economy and the stock market and all these things and, and, and medical costs and surgeries expense and what if we have to have long-term health care? And then, I mean, I want to leave a little something to my kids, right? I want to make sure that I leave um, some type of, uh, of, of inheritance, right, to my kids down the line. All those things are factors that are in there. Even the Bible talks approvingly about leaving an inheritance in 2 Corinthians 12. I think it's verse 14 that, that we see that. But we can look at these things. And so it's this tension of saying, what do we do with this kind of, with this kind of picture that we see James pointing to? What do we do with... This reality that the people that are rich in this present world, that really we are part of those people. So what does the Bible say about that? Do we, do we have more than we will ever use? Are we accumulating and keeping? Is our motivation in everything that we do somehow to see how much we can accumulate in all those things? Are we keeping? Are we hoarding? Or are we... Maybe we're being wise like the ant, right, that's referred to in Proverbs. And we're, we're laying aside, right, to this unknown future that's ahead. It's not an easy question to answer, but I want to give you three things to think about, and then I want to challenge you with three things that I believe can keep us from living uh, that type of life that James would point us to staying away from, and we're going to land this plane. Uh, so I, I encourage you just to hang with me. Three things to watch for. One, is my treasure sinfully stored up? Is there uh, this motivation in my heart that that's what I want to do? Is it sinfully uh, stored up? Number two is, are the things that I have in my life, are they sinfully gained, right? And there should be nothing that we have that belongs uh, to someone else, right? That we shouldn't have anything in our bank account that ought to belong in somebody else's. Uh, we don't want to take advantage of anything. We see those kind of things. We don't want to do anything uh, that is sinful to gain that. So is it sinfully stored up? Is it sinfully gained? Or is it self-indulgently spent? So those are the three questions that you can ask yourself real quick. And then we're going to jump in. How do we stay away from those kind of things? What kind of things should we do as followers of Jesus Christ in the midst of this world to keep us uh, on the right track and to make a difference in this reality that we are blessed in the midst of this place that we live? Number one, we're going to work hard. Okay, so this is a lot of times we think about work, and many people say, you know what, I don't like work. We hear those kind of things, but I want you to understand something. Work uh, was around before sin entered into the midst of this, this deal. Work was around before the fall, and we are created to work hard. Uh, there's even scriptures that say if a man wants to eat, let him work, right? Those things are there, and so we want to work hard. And 1 Timothy 6, we read a little bit of that chapter, but verse 17 says, instruct those. So what do we do? He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world. Everybody say, that's me. Okay, everybody, we, we are, if you 
have a car, then you're way on the list, right? So instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Now, I thought that was interesting because it would be real easy to think, you know what? I better not have no fun with any of my money. I mean, I, no more vacation, no more. Cause, but that's not what. That's not what the scripture's saying. And he says this. He says, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. It's okay that we enjoy the blessings that God has given us. But then in verse 18, it says, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed, right? We're to enjoy the blessings that God has given us. We're to enjoy uh, those things, but we're not to consume it all. We're blessed so that we can be a blessing. So that brings us to number two. Number one, right, we are going to work hard. Number two, we're going to live healthy. You know, we said that we want to live in a different normal. We were looking and we said, hey, in the midst of this coronavirus, it's made us think a lot different. It's made us look a lot different. And we need a new normal. But that normal, we want to be a normal that God intends. And so uh, we looked in the very first week of that at, at this man with the withered hand. And the Bible said that when Jesus healed him, that his hand returned to normal. And it was whole and it was healthy. And there's this picture that I want us to get in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we look at our finances, the way that we look uh, at the blessings that God has given us that we would live healthy. And the word healthy is that we would have enough. And it's a struggle that I have uh, when it comes to eating. It's, it's something that I need to eat enough, but not too much. And the tendency that I have is to eat too much. It's the tendency that, that can go that direction. I, I, it's hard to stop because I'm enjoying it so much. But we want to live healthy. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7, he says, we brought nothing into this world, and certainly we can carry nothing out. I remember my father-in-law would preach all the time that you ain't never seen a, a, a hearse behind a U-Haul. And actually then one time we did, and I took a picture and sent it to him, and I was so proud. But it was a rare occasion, right? You don't see those things. But he said, certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Now, that word content, man, that's a, that's a great word. Right? Paul said, I found a way in the midst. He said, I know what it's like to have a bunch, and I know what it's like to suffer need. And he said, I found a way in the midst of all those things to be content. And then he says that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And we see this contentment that God desires us to have in this life. And it's something that is missing in, uh, in so many lives in our nation. Verse 9, he says, but those who desire to be rich, if that is our motivation, he says, those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And so what does that look like for a family? And, and, I, and I'm sitting here and I'm reading some of this and I'm thinking, I don't know what this looks like for my family, but there ought to be some things that we don't do as a family because they would not be good for us, right? There are some things that that we should not buy, even if we can afford them. Just because we can afford it doesn't mean that we should buy them, right? There's times that we should say, you know what? The car that I have, it's good enough. Uh, the, the, the way that we live, uh, the, the technology that we have, the TV that we have, it's big enough. The, I don't have to have uh, the latest iPhone, right? And my wife's going to record that because that's a, that's a place that I'm, right? I want the latest technology.
technology, the latest things. It's a thing that is fueled, right? We can live without eating out all the time, right? One nice meal out a week, right? That should be enough. I'm not saying that those things are the boundaries, but we've got to guard our hearts by not always having this attitude that says, I'm going to consume more and more and more because we got to watch for overconsumption. It's like giving me a half gallon of ice cream and sitting it uh, on the couch because the reality is that if you hand me that, I'll sit there and eat it, and I'll eat and eat and eat and not even know I'm eating that thing, especially if it's my favorite with some chocolate and some Reese cups in there. And I can eat. I, my wife can tell you I can eat. That. I remember the first time that she gave me a whole sack of Reese cups because I love them so much that I was sitting there on, like, Christmas morning with a sack of Reese cups, and it was, like, one of my favorite gifts. I ate the whole bag sitting there. Right, I'm thinking, I can't do that anymore. That's not good. And the reality is when we have the blessings that God has given us and we consume them all on ourselves. when I ate every one of those Reese cups and then my little boy comes up a little later and he's like, Daddy, can I have a Reese cup? No, there's no Reese cup left. Son, I've ate 147 Reese cups this morning. Right, and, and, and I want to live a life that's, that's different than that, right? A life that's disciplined. But the reality is that we when we consume it and we're self-indulgent in all those things. And so I'm, I'm not preaching uh, to you. I'm preaching to myself. But when we consume everything in that way, there is nothing left to share. And there is nothing left for us to, uh, to bless and, to, and to, to share. And so the third thing, right, we want to, we want to, first, we want to work hard. Uh, we want to uh, be uh, the kind of people that live healthy. And third, we want to be the kind of people who give generously. And we want to say, you know what, God, how do you want me to use the gifts that you have given me, it's not black and white. It's not like we say, okay, there's this, this, this. But we have the Holy Spirit that lives within us. We have the Spirit of God that is, that is given to us as a gift that will guide and direct us. And, and here's, here's a lie that's straight out of the pits of hell. It's a lie right from Satan that says we can't do it all, so we won't do anything. Right, we look and we think about those that are hungry. We think about uh, the the poor. We think about people in other countries that that that, that are living and are desperate. And and it's very easy for us to look at our lives and to look at this overwhelming mass of need, this overwhelming sense of of poverty, of the gospel, and of needs and and water and and food and all these kind of things. It's very easy for me to live looking down at my bucket of ice cream and forget about all those things because in my world, everything looks good and everything in this moment is satisfying. And all these things are uh, there. And, and we can get into this, this concept and we can say, you know what, I'm not going to do anything because, I, I mean, there's no way that I can do everything. And I believe that we've bought into that lie and many times because we look out at this mass of need, we do nothing. And I thank God for a church that, that doesn't operate in that way. And I don't want to come and, and feel like we're just kind of beaten up because I'm so grateful for the way that we give to missions, the way that we uh, engage in so many different ways. But I didn't write this, James did. And we've got we've to process this, and the Spirit of God will speak to us. C.S. Lewis said this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, and etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things that we should like to do and cannot because our charity's expenditure 
excludes them. And there's a picture that says that I ought not to be able to have everything I want while the world is desperate for food, while there are people that are dying because they don't have the necessities to live. You know, in James chapter 1, I got to the end of that chapter, and it messed with me. But as we walked through the book of James, there was a weekend in there that wrecked me. And as I read the end of James chapter 1, verse 27 is the verse. It said, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. He said, if you want to know what pure and undefiled religion looks like to our Father, it means that, that we understand that we've been given a treasure, that the gospel is worth everything. And because of that, we're going to live ourselves unstained and unpolluted from this world. That we'll say, you know what? There's a lot of sinful things. There's a lot of things out there that can cause a brother to stumble. There's a lot of stuff, maybe even that I have freedom in this world to do. But if I am following Jesus Christ, that I'm willing to give up those things for the cause of the gospel. And I'm willing to live my life in a way that causes other people not to be hindered in their walk with Christ because of the words that I say or the things that I do or the TV that I watch or the music that I listen to or all those kind of things. We can list all those things in because what's wrong with the church today? I believe we have gotten away from pursuing the holiness of God. And we've gotten away from saying, you know what? We have a God who is worthy of all of our praise and our worship. Right in, in, in Romans, we, we read in Romans chapter 12, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He said there ought to be something that we look at because of what Jesus did on the cross that ought to change everything about our lives. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, the living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Right? He said this is the reasonable act of worship. It's the reasonable thing that we ought to do. That we ought to deny the lust and the things of this world. And we ought to pursue a kingdom that is greater than anything we could ever see. And as a result of the blessings that God has given us, that we ought to see something in our lives, right? If I know that pure and undefiled religion is this, in the sight of God our Father, I don't want to know what pure and undefiled religion is in the sight of our country. I don't care what pure and undefiled religion is in the sight of people that are around, but I want to know what pleases the Father. I want to know what comes and approaches as a fragrant offering to the sight of a holy God. Now when I read this book, it says that pure and undefiled religion is this. When I look after widows and orphans in their distress, when I say, you know, what? I'm willing not to have all these things in my life so that somebody else can have something that they are in desperate need of. And it's not a social gospel. It's not a gospel that says, hey, I'm going to give all these things so that people can only have water. It's giving morphine to someone that is dying when we do that. But it's saying, I want to live my life and give of myself in a way that's sacrificial, in a way that is good, in a way that denies the lust and the flesh of this world, that I may uh, have a, a purity in my private life that it results in a power of God in my public life that results in meeting needs and meeting needs in Jesus' name so that we can present the gospel of the goodness of, of the greatness of our God and we can meet needs that will last forever. Man, that's pure and undefiled religion. That's what is right in the sight of our God. And I look at my life and I'm thinking, what is it about my life that exhibits that kind of religion? Man, it wrecks my heart to think about it. It wrecks my heart to think about the things that I consume while there are those that are starving, while there are those that are there. And I can't tell you everything about what this looks like in your life or in mine at this moment, but I believe God's Spirit will speak to us. And we got to be careful because it's very easy for us to get caught up in the things of this world and to say, you know what, uh, I'm going to do something and it'll get the guilt off of me. Here's what David Platt says about 
uh, sustainable care for the poor. And I thought, man, what an incredible thing. He says, real, authentic, sustainable care for the poor will only happen when any low-grade sense of guilt is conquered by a high-grade sense of the gospel. For through the gospel, the good news of God's great love in Christ, Christians are compelled to willing, joyful, urgent, faith-driven, grace-saturated, God-glorifying work on behalf of the poor. And I want you to hear that. He says, listen, there's just doing one little thing, it's not going to sustain. But he said, when we get a glimpse of not this low-grade sense of guilt that somehow convicts us for five minutes and we do one thing different in our life, but a high-grade sense of the gospel. The gospel says that we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, right in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, though he was rich... Mm, for your sake, for my sake, he became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. That, that when we understand and we get a picture of the glorifying gospel and the, the goodness of our God, we recognize that he has blessed us as followers of Jesus Christ with spiritual wealth, with an understanding of the gospel, and with material wealth. And neither one of those two things are we to hoard. Neither one of those two things are we to say, I have everything that I need, and I'm going to be concerned with me and my four. We are going to say, you know what? We have been changed by the gospel, and so we're not going to hoard the gospel. We're not going to hoard the goodness and the grace that God has given us, so we're going to work hard, and we're going to live healthy, and we're going to be people that say, you know what? I'm going to work hard. God desires for us to work hard. We're going to live healthy. We're going to live within our means. We're going to enjoy some of what God's given us, but we're not going to consume it all because we know that we are called to give generously, generously of our time, generously of our treasures, generously of our talents, and the reason that we do that is is because there is a God that stepped out from the glories of heaven and he gave his life for us. There was Jesus Christ became poor, right? He who was rich became poor, right? He, he ended up, man, born in a, a state without a place to lay his head, died on a cruel cross so that I might have life. And he calls us to walk in newness of life, different, equipped by spirit, called to, to, to meet needs according to his word, with his word. And for the glory of his name, I want you just to bow your head and close your eyes. We're going to close. Father, I pray, God, for every person under the sound of my voice in this moment, Lord. And, God, as I've read your word, Lord, my heart has been so convicted, Lord. And I pray, God, you would speak to each individual person. God, I pray, Lord, that in these moments, Lord, that every one of us would say, God, what would you have of me? That we would recognize, Lord, that you have blessed us, Lord, so that we might be a blessing. God, I pray, Lord, that you will, God, help me to prioritize my life in a way that declares my worship and, the, God, through, through the love that I share, God, with those that are in need, with those that, God, are in need of the gospel, with those that are in need of things that I am so blessed with, Father. And I pray, Lord, that for every person under the sound of my voice, God, that we could allow this to hit home. Lord, I pray, God, that your desire, Lord, for us to, uh, to serve and meet needs in the midst of this world, Lord, could be reflected in our personal budgets, in our church budgets, Lord, in the things that are, uh, God, close to you, Lord. Help them be close to us, Lord. I pray that we would be a people, Lord, who would pursue the holiness of God, who would who would deny, God, the, the worldly fleshes and the self-indulgence, Lord, and all the things, Lord, that our body and this old man, Lord, that, that, that we battle, Lord, that we wrestle with, that they continually crave, Lord, but that we might live our lives in a way, Lord, that would leave eternal 
God's significance. Lord, help us to lay our treasure up, not in the things of this world, but in another world, God, in the kingdom of heaven, Lord. And we pray, Lord, if there's someone here that has been trusting in anything other than Jesus, Lord, that this morning, God, that they would surrender their lives to you, Lord, that we would, God, turn from our our selfish, sinful ways, Lord, and that we would surrender to a holy God, Lord, that we would accept, Lord, and receive the gift of salvation. Lord, that it is by your grace, Lord, God's riches at the expense of Christ, God's riches at Christ's expense, Lord, that we are given salvation, Lord, that we experience grace, and it's through faith, Lord, just believing uh, in the gospel, Lord, believing in the finished work of the cross and giving our lives to that, surrendering our lives, that we are saved, Lord. I pray, God, if there are any listening online in this parking lot, Lord, that we would surrender our lives to you, Lord, and that you, God, would change us from the inside out for the glory of your name, Lord. Help us to be people that reflect Lord, those that have been changed by the gospel. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.